Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And there we go. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. For those of you at 2 a.m., good morning again. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm really excited to introduce you to the guest because I know him and I'm excited to learn more about him. Some of the stats, he is a veteran of doing design and interactive design, new media development, 17 years, plus or minus a couple of years. Uh, he, he's been doing this for a long time. Very experienced developer, entrepreneur, marketer, technologist. Um, and business consultant, marketing strategist, where? At Cheshire Impact. Daniel Cordell, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. This is so awesome to get to be with you. Yeah, man. I mean, we've been working together for a bit now, but, but I'm excited to really get to know you and dive into some of the marketing strategies as well as learning some of your story, too, of where you came from and how you got all this experience. And, and so the theme for today, this is kind of like you know, inside Cheshire Impact, almost like inside the actor studio. We get to go behind the scenes and see some of the, uh, the amazing people at Chesh and, and learn from you as well. So I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, I want to pass you this. Now, it's heavy, but I, I think it work out, so you should be fine with it. Here you go. This is Thor's hammer. Go ahead and take that and, and smash for me some kind of marketing myth or bogus strategy or misconception. Wow, that is heavy. Oh my gosh, you've got your own Thor's hammer. Look at that. Hey, so hey, I'm this, this, uh, here we go. Ready? <laughs> hammer, uh, cheers. Boom. Cheers. <laughs> people are just like, what's going on? Like, I literally have a Thor's hammer. I pass people. And Daniel does too. So fantastic. Okay, so you're used to smashing. Things. What can I say? I'm a fan of the show. So <laughs> it's so great to get Love to... It. To do this with you okay so my myth and you're gonna have to help me smash this i'm gonna present it i'm gonna try to smash it and i can't wait for some dialogue with you yeah okay so the myth is that thought leadership is only for people in positions of leadership Ooh, yeah yeah that's a good one like what dive in just start start yeah. blasting yeah so here's part of just how this myth is perpetuated so i want to kind of create like a a sample scenario yeah uh, we'll even use a little bit of a persona so let's say we've got alex and alex works in a company as a web designer so you could say this is maybe like a you know worst case scenario but i think a lot of employee engagement statistics show that not everyone has a great situation at their job so Alex works for someone uh, you know he's under the lead designer the creative director the chief marketing officer so Alex is down there low in the organizational chart and here's a couple things that create this scenario his manager let's say is kind of protective of their role and they're not trying to build up Alex and show him that he can grow and you know develop professionally and take on leadership roles within the company wait he's not trying to do that well let's yeah the <laughs> that the middle but it happens you're right it happens it happens um, let's add another another aspect to this that the company as a whole doesn't have like an organized professional development program Got so it. they're not 
incentivizing professional development, showing the team members that there's ways to set budget and set goals uh, for them to go down that path. On top of that, Alex goes out, picks up a book on authority marketing or thought leadership. Yeah. And page one is this, this book is great for entrepreneurs or it's great for CEOs, but small business owners. It doesn't really speak mm. to Alex in his position in the company. And then let's add one more thing onto that. So when Alex joined the company, he signed an employment agreement and not that the legal terms made a lot of sense or that they were really discussed, but he got the feeling that he wasn't even really allowed to go out and publish content on his own. Um, or, you know, maybe the employment agreement even said um, notes that you keep if they're related to the field of business that the company um, is in, that those notes don't belong to Alex, they belong to the company. So all right. of this, again, again, this is sort of like a, a you know, worst case scenario, but all of this adds up to where Alex doesn't feel like he's on this path of pursuing thought leadership. Right, you know, it's all plausible too. Uh, from the agreement, uh, how do you even talk about the book? Um, company not having a path, manager trying to protect the role or status quo. It, it's all kind of pointing to no, like don't do thought leadership, especially if you don't even own it in the future. Right. And it's all about the pursuit. It's about building someone up so that they know that that's something they can pursue. It's not, not so much coming from at this from the standpoint that, you know, we need to be able to claim our thought leadership or claim our position, but it's just, can we pursue it? Is it a pursuit that we should be on and our, you know, our employees being built up in that pursuit? Yeah, and it, yeah, go ahead. Well, one thing I like to do is look at some of the terms similar to thought leadership to kind of build a picture of, of what some of these exciting things are um, mm -hmm. to, get, to get to pursue. So if you think of these synonymous terms like subject matter expert, um, knowledge worker, there's influencer marketing, authority marketing, what I like to do is take all of these kind of lump them together and glean from them what I think is going to help me on my path and help me pursue my goals and, and not get caught up in like hyper analyzing. Well, what is a thought leader versus an expert versus right. an influencer right. and, and definitely not get caught up in criticizing them, like calling them, you know, well, it's just buzzwords. It's just jargon marketing or corporate jargon, sure. but rather say, Hey, these are, these are really exciting opportunities, really good terms that have, cool meanings, let's glean from them and as individuals see what we can be accomplishing and what we can be inspired by within this realm and, and just how we can benefit from these pursuits. Yeah, not get cynical. Like, oh, well, no, I, I only do authority marketing and that influencer stuff is BS. It's like, no, no, no. I, I like how you're grabbing a little bit from every one of them because they probably all have their, their finer points. Exactly. So, so what, what do you, from, from mushing all those together, what do you get as like your working definition of thought leadership in general? What, what, what's your approach? Well, again, I love that there's all these little components to them about trustworthiness, about building credibility, um, being generous. And again, you, you know, you take just one word like leadership and that's such a powerful word. You can get a book on just that topic and apply it to your professional development. So, you know, leadership isn't about ruling over others and being a boss and differentiating and making sure that no one can rise to where you are. Right. Leadership is about building up others and contributing to a right. bigger picture and taking initiative. 
I like that you're separating the two of those to, from each other because you're right. You could literally go read. I mean, one of the ones I like is the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's like a really good book. I think that's Maxwell too. I'll have to Google that. But you could actually go read that in the context of thought leadership. So you can repurpose all these leadership books because we all know there's like thousands of them. But you could just read some of those and repurpose that as like, okay, a thought leader does this with your thinking. Does this with that, their thoughts. That's cool. Exactly. And leadership is a, is a cool word. I've been working on an infographic that talks about like, what kind of leader are you? And it's neat because you can think of there's a leader in a race and that can even apply to oh, yeah, you know, yeah. getting out there ahead of the crowd. So, so it's, you know, it's fun to just work with these concepts and again, just take what you um, can glean and apply to your path. So what, what have you gleaned for your path? What, what kind of, thought, you know, all these definitions, I, by the way, I love the word study and all that. What, what have you distilled for you? So I like to use the example of marriage counselors. And this is what I want for my, in my professional life. So a marriage counselor, picture a couple who's uh, mature in their marriage and they're older and they've worked through the hard issues. They're able to answer the tough questions they've researched. So they're experts, they're thought leaders in this area of marriage yeah. and then picture them in a community of other married couples and those couples look up to them and they're looking for, you know, leadership and they're looking for counsel. They take their tough questions to them. They get inspiration from them. The marriage, the couple that's the more mature couple that's building up these others is looking to build up these others. They're not looking to differentiate and separate themselves. So this is kind of what I want is I want to be in a professional environment where I'm building up others to the extent that when they're built up, they're now teaching and leading and we're all contributing to something greater. Think of that marriage counselor situation where the more mature couple has invested in all these other couples and now together they're almost more powerful, like coming, you know, the, sure. all of those couples could take on something even greater that they've kind of got this marriage thing down and they're looking at some of the bigger problems of the world that they want to work together to, you know, be influencers in and, and solve problems. And so that's how, that's kind of where I'm at is that in the professional environment, I want to not just take my skills that differentiate me and build something that gives me a platform. I want to take my skills and build others up. And I want to yeah. give them a platform so, so that we can work together and maybe we can turn our field of work into something more exciting than it even is today. Totally agree. I mean, it, it gives you a why to it. And if the why is self-serving, like there's nothing wrong with doing thought leadership to help your career out. That's for sure. But at the same time, it can get kind of tiresome to do any of those things if, if you're the reason, unless you're like one of those people where you're all about you, hey, more power to you. But for a lot of us, it's like, ah, you know, I, you know, I, I like me, but um, I really want to contribute more than I just take. And so if you make other people your reason for the thought leadership, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, I'm not doing thought leadership to like get book deals and be, be on the New York Times. Like I'm doing this to help other people and kind of reminding yourself why you're doing it in the first place. 
Right. And then that becomes very satisfying. You, you do get the self-fulfillment when you're investing in others and you become more passionate about the work that you're doing. So basically it's a win-win where you're, you're enjoy. That's what I want is I just want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy the work that I do and that's how I would enjoy it. Got it. Now, bringing this down to like the practical world, someone listening going, okay, it's not, I get the sense the world's against this, but I need to step up and do this and think about who I'm contributing to. What are some of the practical ways someone can get started? They've never done any thought leadership and we know why there's all these things telling them not to, but they hear this podcast and they hear, they hear you, Daniel, and they're like, okay, let me give it a shot. Where do they start? Well, one way to look at thought leadership is in the broader context of marketing and I like um, just all these, you know, you can divide marketing into countless little subcategories like content marketing and content marketing is one that I've always uh, been excited about. It's something that I have, you know, an extensive background in and content, you know, the saying content is king. Content is a big part of thought leadership, obviously, is ways to contribute your thoughts, ways to, Uh, promote and publish material that is uh, setting yourself, you know, forward with the industry that you're working within. So that would be, you know, potentially we could even say this is a a second myth that we smash. And that is that um, only marketing team members, maybe with the title, with the word content in their title, are allowed to contribute to content. Right. So it's their job and everyone else should just not do it. Right. And you hear some cool stories about like the janitor walks in and they're, they're brainstorming for a logo and the janitor throws out his idea and everyone's like, Oh, like that's going to be our new, you know, brand we're going to work. And so that's kind of the, the, I love that thought that when you're working within, um, you know, just a certain field that you can contribute by, um, you know, it could be through copy, it could be through concepts that become graphics. You know, I've worked in a couple of companies that never would have thought that a video game had anything to do with their business. And I've taken the initiative of like, hey, here's what a video game would look like with our brand and you know, how it could it could be internal to engage employees. So just being creative and contributing to content. And, you know, I've got to tell people about that. So um, I think it was, was it a couple months ago? I'm trying to remember the timing. It was yeah, somewhat exactly. recently I got an email and, it, and you had created, and if everyone's interested in this, shoot us a note. Um, uh, you know, you hit me on LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter. Uh, you would create a video game where it's, it's kind of like that uh, what, Asteroids or whatnot, one of the old games where you kind of move back and forth on the screen, and it was like a chess logo, and you shoot things, right? And up on the top of the screen, different monsters are coming down. Well, the monsters, instead of being monsters, they're like Marketo, HubSpot. <laughs> right. Um, I, had a, I had a broken Salesforce connector that right. you had to right. battle. All the troubles in your life are coming at you, and then Treasure Impact is going around and shooting those guys. And we actually had a, a game internally to, to see who could get the highest score. And I think Logan and I were going back and forth trying to get the high one. Right. And I think Logan eventually did figure out did sort he of beat the me? secret way to do it and came out with a pretty monstrous score. Yeah. 
yeah, of course. But then the question is, okay, who who spent more time playing this game? <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah, but like that that was that was an example of you. I mean, thought leadership maybe we're repurposing the marketing world, but even if we don't, you're you're doing things and pushing boundaries and creating content. And I I think what that point was like content doesn't just have to be, you know, the written word. It could be a podcast. It could be a game. It could be a website with, you know, gamification. It could be all sorts of things. Exactly. And, and as you set out, this is one of the things I love about the content creation process is as you set out with a goal, it forces you to go deeper into the subject matter. So for example, building a video game for a brand forces me to work with that brand and the brand identity and the visual elements in a way that, you know, helps me learn more about the brand, helps me think about user um, in interaction, user experience. So, so getting someone included into the content creation process that isn't usually part of the content creation process might actually help them learn the voice of the brand. It might help mm -hmm. them learn, you know, how, their role and, and start to, you know, take more ownership over uh, the brand that they're a part of. For sure. So, I mean, this is good. We're all kind of giving people this point of advice, like, you, you want to get in on the thought leadership. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter if you don't have content in your name. Start thinking about creating content. And it doesn't just have to be written. It could be verbal. It could be whatever craft you want to do. Exactly. And from the employer perspective, I think that there's a lot to that quote where you've got the two individuals talking and one says, what if we invest in our employees and they leave? And the response is, but what if we don't invest and they stay? Right. That's such a, you know, it's a good one. It's a funny one. And I like it. And then I also like that you can add to that and say, investing in someone and, and them leaving doesn't even have to be a bad thing that you're sure. investing in future relationships, there's potential that that relationship will continue um, as a partner, as a customer, could build um, you know, a broader network. And so just, it's a, it's a good thing. You, know, you think of a, a football team, like a pro team, and the head yeah. coach is known for building up those assistant coaches and they go on and they get head coaching jobs. He has a relationship now with all those other teams. High, high caliber coaches are looking to get in and work with him as an assistant coach because they know that they're going to be built up and they yeah. know it's going to create opportunities for them. So there's, again, there's just lots of reasons, what, no matter what perspective you look at it from, uh, to build each other up and to give them the, the opportunities. Yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, if you're a marketing leader listening to this, think about how you could empower your team to do that. And if you're a marketer listening to this and, or anyone really, it doesn't matter your title, you're listening to this, think about what kind of thought leadership you can start with. And maybe it's writing an article on LinkedIn or um, let's use it the simplest on LinkedIn. Maybe you have a place you don't have to host it anywhere. It's like on LinkedIn, you just post it there or post it in the comments, start writing, um, start creating, crafting, doing things and putting it out there. I think you know, when you mentioned the, the companies that, you know, the empower this versus don't, it takes a little bit of maturity. And I know, you know, several years ago, uh, I might've taken it personally if someone left, you know, even our company, because I'm like, oh no, they're like, they're rejecting me personally or the company or the team, the family. But then I grew to realize, no, actually, you, you just want the best for people. And, and almost every time someone moves or leaves or has to move, um, they always have a better place afterward, or, or at least they've learned from that experience, hopefully, and they have a better place. So it's actually good to, you know, maybe you are a step, you know, you, maybe you're not going to work here for 20 years, but it's like, it's an awesome step 
up for them and ideally they contribute that magic to your team while they're there so it but it takes it takes a little bit of mind shift to get there to be thinking that so you know for those mark leaders listening you know where are you at in that process and how could you you know first improve yourself so that you think about the right way and then use that energy to to help your team out have you experienced yeah. both daniel have you experienced the uh, companies that have said yeah go for it and other ones that are like no please don't do that one hundred percent, yes. So, um, I was in a company where we—I was one of the first few uh, building up what became, a, I think, about thirty people. And one of the things that we were um, basically reinforced with over time as people were being added to the company is that we were hiring knowledge workers, and that as someone came on board maybe they had a law enforcement background or maybe they were um, from an academic, um, you know, setting where they had stood up a, a field of study at a university. And, and yet none of these things had any um, true relationship to the, to the area of work that we were doing. And this was this amazing positive experience where I was working in business development and I came up with this program that was based on emails and surveys. And it was, basically an employee engagement program that the company needed and um, it, it tied into the, the way they would get contracts and put employees at uh, government agencies. And you needed a way to really keep those employees engaged because they weren't on site with the corporate headquarters. So to make a long story short, I built this, this program and ran into some immediate obstacles where we couldn't deploy it. We couldn't use it um, the way that it was intended. Right. And this, um, another person within the company said, we need to take this to law enforcement. I've got the relationship that we're going to go, you know, implement this right now. And we took a drive to another town and wow. sat down and we ended up implementing a training solution for a law enforcement team that let them prove that they were going through the training that they needed to go through and basically assure that they got 100% on every survey. Um, but it was this really neat experience where we were given freedom yeah. Um, both to be innovative, but also to use like our, you know, I saw this person in, you know, this particular individual use his uh, subject matter expertise to take my creative work and then to create business opportunities with it. Yeah, you're definitely, a, you're a creator. It's been, you know, even having worked together for just a, a little bit of time, I, you can tell there's these things and you have these ideas and then what's cool is you, you execute on them. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm the idea guy where I'm like, Oh, your idea, idea, idea. But like you literally are bringing life to all these different things. So I could see where it'd be such a blessing to be working somewhere where it's like, yeah, 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 go do that. That's cool. Like that's neat. That's how can we use that? Or how can we deploy that for the law enforcement folks or whoever the, the customers are or the team is. That's really cool. Right. And, and I don't think there's a project that we have that I've been working on um, with Cheshire Impact that isn't, um, I don't think it's announceable yet, but it's exactly yeah. that. I Just, know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I love it, man. I, I got the link to that. And I was like, this is the freaking coolest thing I've ever seen. Cool. Um, and, and to tie back to your last question of, you know, there's the negative experience um, that someone can have right. where, you know, at one point I was working as a, a Pardot administrator and 
in the realm of the Salesforce ecosystem, it's just incredible the opportunity that we oh, have yeah. to pursue that professional path, both from um, getting certifications, but getting tied into groups that are supportive, traveling to awesome events, mm -hmm. all of the training and the, the badges that you can earn and how that ties into maybe going on LinkedIn and connecting with people and kind of you know building off of where they're at. And um, from the negative side, one thing I can say is I think there's probably a lot of like Pardot admins out there that might not even know that there's a certificate to go and pursue. And they might not even know that there's a benefit to that. And it goes way beyond like earning a credential. The, the experience of getting a certificate, getting um, certified, it forces you to work through some of those um, questions like problem solving where it says, hey, your, you know, your client needs a list segmented in all this, you know, complicated way. And what would you do in Pardot to, to accomplish right. that? And getting the, the certification path is like a, a really good experience. Um, and there was a year or so where I was a Pardot administrator and I, I didn't have any of that, um, you know, feedback and positive reinforcement that I could go and pursue those things and, and connect with that community. And so again, like I think there's a, and this ties into the project that we were just talking about sure. that isn't ready to launch, but there's an opportunity to really encourage people down that path and to show them that, um, you know, basically the pursuit of thought leadership within the Salesforce ecosystem is probably one of the coolest professional opportunities in the world right now. Totally agree. And, and the, the, cert, the, the, the path to certification kind of thing, uh, it, it fills your brain up with things that maybe you can then share in thought leadership. I've always, I've always, you know, wanted to do thought leadership and, but also been cognizant of the fact that I've got to feed my own brain. I got to continually feed it because that's the stuff that I'm going to chew up and turn into really good thought leadership and, and send out. So I need to, it's like, you know, you're constantly learning on one side so you can be sharing it on the other side. I think it's probably important to, you know, I'm glad you brought the certification because it's the two sides of it. You can't just be doing thought leadership. It's like, what are you going to tell people? Well, tell people the things you learned, from the different sources, from other thought leaders, from doing your own projects, or the certification. Yeah, exactly. So very cool stuff. Uh, yeah, the secret project. People are like, what are they talking about? Don't worry, you will know it. You will know in time. But it's just a good example of you know, we, you bring something to to light. And what matters most, I think, even getting from you is the project that we're talking about. You know, you experienced the pain point. You experienced you know a, a need or a gap, and you thought, huh. How could I best address this for future me, for me and future me's, uh, so they don't have to go through that? And it's kind of cool that you feel that way because that's how I've always felt with you know, the work we do at Chesh with other marketers. It's like, you know, when I first bumped into marketing automation, it was amazing, and my you know career went from you know zero to hero very quickly. And a lot of it I, I attribute to tracking ROI, but also just doing marketing automation. So I want like other people to experience that. You know, it's not about million dollars on an island and. Bahamas. It's like seeing other people benefit from that, doing webinars, podcasts, just to help other people. Otherwise you get bored and tired of it. If you don't, if you're not making millions of dollars from your efforts, but the fact that you're contributing, I think that's the most important. 
And that is such a good experience, uh, both uh, and on the other side of it, it's such a good experience where you go on LinkedIn, you see someone's at um, a cool event or they just got their certification, but instead of putting it out there to differentiate themselves or to make themselves, you know, look all established as the thought leader, they're actually using the opportunity to to encourage others and to talk about how, you know, there's um, some new release coming out about features on a software and how it's the user that they have in mind and right and just really you know i get that positive vibe and, and that's such a encouragement totally it's all about it's all about that contribution in the end of the day for sure uh, i'd love to switch gears a little bit and ask you some questions because i know there's some things that are kind of bopping they're exciting in the, the marketing ecosystem um your take on web chat because i have definitely seen this coming into the b2b world it's kind of always hung out in the B2C world for shopping carts and that kind of thing, but I'm seeing it come like a storm into the B2B world. Um, what, what are you seeing? What, where do you think it comes from? What's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, well, I think that there, and, and in terms of web chat, we're talking about uh, like live chat opportunities when you're on yeah. a site. Um, I think that there's, again, kind of taking that positive perspective where you glean what is good and yeah. you don't get too down on any, uh, you know, don't get too cynical. Um, I love the technology behind it. So I think the more it becomes automated, the more it becomes user-friendly and um, eases the workload of the, let's say, like the SDR on the other side that wants to engage with it um, through AI or, you know, whatever you want to call that. I think that that's that's all uh, really exciting. Like just leverage what you can and create the best experience for the end user that you can and, and don't get caught. I think that we shouldn't get caught up in um, saying like, Oh, you know, an AI powered web chat is going to replace the personnel that would, you know, typically be behind it. Right. Um, But rather just say, let's work in some automations. Let's use some algorithms that help this process and let's empower um, you know, the, the end goal that we're trying to get out of it. That makes sense. I think you bring a good point that we're st- it's like the A in AI, um, mm-hmm. even the, the A in marketing au- automation, it's all about, you know, taking some good stuff and, and helping it scale or helping, you know, do more of it, but it doesn't replace the humanity, the human side of it. Um, you can have a really bad drip campaign that now goes out to thousands of people um, without your effort, or you can have a really good email sequence or a really good chat, you know, or a really bad one. So I, I think you're right that just because we have these tools, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're replacing people, but it, it, there's, the, there's a chance to do more good to more people that, through those kind of things. Right. And sometimes I'm sure you've experienced this where you engage with web chat in the sales process and you're on the trial for a product or you're on the, you know, kind of front facing sales part. Then you finally commit and you're on that other side and web chat goes away and you feel (laughs) like then just kind of like let loose, like, Hey, we made the sale and we don't need to interact with you anymore. So I think that the more we invest in web chat and make it available, maybe on screens that we wouldn't typically want to put a lot of, you know, one-to-one time invested in, I think that maybe 
as we automate some of it, then we can do that and create a better user experience. So I would love to have an SDR or obviously it could be handed off to someone, but I would love to have someone show me the level of commitment to me that they had in the sales process after I've committed and I'm using the product. And I would love to get that pop-up that says, how can I help you? What are you working through? What problem are you trying to solve? Right. Um, so yeah, web chat's just another one of those web technologies that I think if we use it the best, to the best of our you know, capacity, uh, we have an opportunity to really uh, in, increase the user experience and the value that we bring to the customer. Yeah, it's kind of cool how marketing's grown back into that user experience role and we're looking at the full picture and you're right you don't want to alienate people at certain stages oh we got what we want out of you so you don't you don't rate chat anymore you know or, or now that you purchase you don't need that 1-800 number or you do you don't get that until you buy like there's all the sort of mm -hmm. weird tweaks that that may or may not you know turn people off when they're in that process um my question is uh who are you uh, we've worked together for a bit. Um, I know you've got this sort of mysterious past. You're a creator. You're, you're all, all these different things. Like, take us back to, like, little Daniel days. You know, did were you always this way, always a creator? What kind of you know, experiences do you have in your life that sort of shaped to where you're at today? Yeah, oh, I love that question. And, yeah, it, it does go back to little Daniel. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had sort of an unconventional path and it's led to a lot of out-of-the-box approaches to my work life and sort of bigger worldview things that really direct how I look at life and how I look at work. But you go back to when I was young, you know, I think, I think there was a program that Mac was um, making available back when I was six years old called Canvas. And it was a vector design program, a predecessor to things like Adobe Illustrator. And I was on a Macintosh. We had Macintosh Classic. Um, I forget some of the other, what they were called. Um, and I was doing vector design work when I was very little. My dad had a consultancy where he would either have an office or potentially like a home office. And I was homeschooled, so I would be in that office with him, and he would make something available to me, whether it was a computer or a new digital camera that you know people hadn't had their hands on yet. Um, Final Cut Pro, way back in the day when it was you know replacing other types of uh, video editing, and we had digital cameras along to go along with that. So I, I, at a very young age, was you know getting my hands on a lot of fun technology that would direct where I went in life. Uh, in high school, I entered into high school with a much different perspective um, than you know just the conventional approach. So I, I wanted to get enough credits to play sports, but I kind of just didn't want to be there. And it was this rough, <laughs> Same this, here. This rough thing. <laughs> yeah. So they let me earn credits at home. Um, I was actually doing graphic design, contributing to the contracts that my dad was working on. Wow. And, and he would basically hand me projects. He had trained me in Adobe Illustrator. At this point, it was Adobe Illustrator, and it was wow. you know the real stuff. And I, would able, I was able to get credits at high school with the portfolio that I built of the design work that I was doing on his contracts. And this is at 13, 14 years old. Wow. And 
as good as that experience was and how it let me play sports and, and that sort of thing, by, by early sophomore year, I was done with it all. And I left high school, I was out of high school. And um, with, when I was old enough, within about a year or so, I got my GED and went to take some fun classes at a community college when I was 15, 16 years old. Um, but really what I was doing is I was just continuing to pursue a professional path. Like I was right. at that point, I was the go-to person. If you wanted a CD burned or duplicated, yeah. um, I was the go-to person. If you wanted a t-shirt printed. Yeah. So my dad had all these, you know, things in our office and I was designing t-shirts uh, yeah. for local parks, parks and rec. And we would do, you know, all their tournament shirts and league shirts um, and then that led to some travel. By the time I was 17, I was, uh, I moved down to California to go to a Bible school. And then I went overseas and continued with that school in England. And that, that oh. opened up kind of my eyes to travel and, and that At sort of 17. Well, so 17 in California, Okay, I think I was probably 19 when I went to England. Yeah. Um, at 18, I tried to go somewhere. I tried to go to Ireland and, um, it was like my first time just getting on an airplane by myself and I got stuck at the border and they wouldn't let me in because I didn't have a, a good, I, I had a, a long like return flight time and no money. And they were like, why are you here? <laughs> They're like, you're trying to immigrate, aren't you? Like, no, I'm just yeah. going for a long vacation. So I was in Ireland for about 30 minutes and oh, no. And then that stuck with me through life. So since then, you know, in the next few years, I went to um, all throughout the Middle East, Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and Turkey um, and and never entered a country without them saying, hey, why were you not allowed in Ireland? And I would look at my passport. I'd be like, wait, where are you seeing this? Like, yeah, I don't see this. But um, so, again, just a very, you know, I would say a very enlightening um, like upbringing where again, going back to like that bigger worldview, um, I am passionate about the work that I do and the creative work and the technologies that I use. And it's that worldview. It's that, you know, belief system that I've been able to, you know, really enter into throughout life that defines like how I go about work and, and, and just the way I want to contribute to the world and to my family. I have four kids and love spending time with them and they're using the technologies they have, yeah. you know, just like I experienced they're in my office with me. They're using Wacom tablets and wow. they're learning things like Adobe Illustrator without even knowing that they're learning it. I just give them a coloring book on a Wacom tablet. They're coloring, but they're switching tools. Um, I want to get them involved in some of the more sophisticated like enterprise level systems. Um, I think in the academic world, that that's something that's overlooked is sure. we could be using Slack and we could be using, um, you know, like industry standard project management tools yeah. just to communicate about our homework and just to, to turn yeah. in projects. Um, so I anticipate that my kids, they're young, but they're already doing business online through things like Etsy. I anticipate that they'll have skill sets and a resume built while they're young with enterprise level tools and it's something that they've been able to experience even just while they're doing simple little homeschool projects. Wow. There's so much there. Um, you're right. Crazy cool paths. Now I just going back to when 
your parents let you drop out of high school? Were you just getting so much done at, at home? And they're like, yeah, you're right. You don't really need to. And what sports were you playing too? And, and eventually it was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was playing sports every season. I was running cross country in the fall, ba- playing basketball in the winter and tennis in the spring. Wow. Um, and sports were, again, I think, I think, from a good parenting perspective, they saw sports as a way to invest in their kids. And I had siblings that were rock climbing and kayaking and not really doing the like organized sport thing. Um, so I, I think I really took that from my parents as like a, a really cool, positive experience where they just looked for opportunities to invest in us, in, in our, in the kids, um, in whatever area that we found uh, to be that we were found to be passionate about. So I was passionate about sports, but I was also uh, very, you know, interested in graphic design and, and the technology um, technologies around like desktop publishing. So my parents, how'd that conversation go? Like when it was, yeah, first I went, year, you know, first I went to my parents and I said, the only thing I want to take at school is math and Spanish. I said, <laughs> I see those as like logical things that I can learn. And I want to just see how far I can go with math and Spanish. And they're right. like, okay, great. So that's all you're going to do. So I went to school for two classes a day and then I did the rest of the credits at home. But was everyone else jealous too? And you're like, peace. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. And I had, it was one of those great like things where my brother was the president of the high school. So he and the like government class, the student government had access to some rooms and stuff at the school that not everyone had access to. And I was always in there like doing magic tricks with them. Like I would like leave, <laughs> leave class. And then we would go into one of these rooms and I'd be like, oh, this is like what school should be. Like, I don't have to be in a class, but I'm here hanging out with people in like a, you know, in a cool like environment. Yeah. So the conversation with my parents was easy because they were already of that mindset. They were the one instilling that mindset in me of just look to where you want to build, you know, where you want to develop, look to where you think you bring value and pursue those paths. So I entered into the sophomore year and um, actually, they, we were assessing like my credits at home, and uh, my dad was sitting down with some of my teachers and had like a stack of like twenty books of like Photoshop techniques and all this <laughs> stuff, and showing them um, what you know what I was learning and that sort of thing. So at that point, I had gone a year um, playing sports, and then the school was now giving some pushback. Um, wanting me to basically I wasn't going to get to play uh, tennis that spring I I had what? I'd kind of slid through a couple cracks that they didn't notice uh, in the fall and winter and I was doing the work but just somehow kind of not checking the boxes with a mentor at school that said like yes this is all good so so that day they said there's no way to fix this. You're not going to be eligible for a sport until next year. So like, you're going to go all spring without playing. So my dad and I walked out of the school and I looked at him and I was like, I'm done. I'm not coming back. So that was the last day I was ever at school. <laughs> and and well, like and I what said, what did he say? What do you like? And, yeah. Well, the, not yeah. Oh yeah. He was like, great. Let's go have some fun. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He was wow. always, always supportive in that way. Cool parents, coolest parents ever. Run, everyone's super jealous. They're like, "What?" Right? They, they packed me up, put me on that bus, and off I went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what a cool environment! Almost like an incubator. You know, think about like a startup incubator. You were like in one since an early age. 
Yeah, you know, that's a really good point because I got to see um, how things get funded. I got to see a lot of the business side um, just just being at my dad's side. And and what that led to was I ended up really just becoming the person that would that would help him start businesses. I would do the branding. I would launch the website. Mm-hmm. I would get an initial, you know, marketing plan in place. And the company, you know, that I mentioned earlier that I was one of the first three people in the company and we grew to over 35. Um, that was his company. So I was, I was just basically, um, in from the start helping him, you know, design, uh, what that company would be. Amazing to be doing that. What was it like when you had your first job, not with your, your dad? Right. And was it weird to go from like, probably like a really efficient, fast paced environment to more of a corporate type thing, or was it still small? It, it was a perfect sequence. So okay, I, cool. I, yeah, I came home from England and um, there was a publishing company that he was really into. He was into the materials. And at that point in time, this was when CDs were you know, kind of cutting edge. And I owned a CD duplicator where you could put your master CD in. So I was, I think I was 19. You could put a CD in and a stack of 150 blank CDs and then load an art file. And it would take that master CD, duplicate it 150 times and print your art file on top. And so I had this machine uh, and, and I was using it for a number of, of things. So we went to this publishing company and we basically said, hey, we've got this machine. Uh, we love your publishing company. We love the material that you work on. You have a lot of audio material. They had a radio, a national radio broadcast. And we said, you know, why don't you make use of our um, CD duplication? And in the course of talking to them, as they found out that I did video production, audio production, graphic design, you know, the web was starting to become something that, that I had an interest in. I wasn't coding yet. Um, they were like, um, I think we should just have you come do a lot of stuff for us. <laughs> and so, so I ended up putting my CD duplicator, this is like a $10,000 machine. I ended up putting it in their offices wow. and letting them just use it. And I worked full time for them. So that was like this, you know, again, like I looked to my dad as someone who would facilitate those kinds of opportunities for me. I mean, he was, that was like my first job interview and I was sitting there with my dad, right. you know, oh, yeah, like, that's cool like what a great way to be like brought up in those things and then kind of shepherded into situations. So then that ended up just being this incredible group to work with. Um, they were very influential um, to me and giving, they gave me just so much opportunity to start designing, you know, book covers and uh, letting me start coding. So that got me into the web. Yeah. And I saw, I saw that all these things that I like, the web was basically where you could put them. You could put yeah. a video, you could put your graphic design, you could put your photography and your radio show. So that's how, that's what took me, this was back in about 2001. Okay. And that's what, that's what took me into this web direction was that I didn't want to let go of graphic design. I didn't want to let go of these other skill sets, but if I could do the web, if I could, you know, code these things, then that's, that would like, empower me to to publish the things that i wanted to do right okay cool cool man you're like a that sort of renaissance man just doing a million different things and it was cool that you didn't um go cold turkey right into some corporate environment 
other than the worst. I've only lasted like a week and I'm like, I'm out <laughs> like high school. I got no thanks. Did you, did you ever end up working one of those larger companies or did you uh, stay I, away from them? No, I did for sure. And it, um, as you could imagine, like yeah. it was, it was hard to find a really good fit. Um, <laughs> I I think the the biggest company I was with was like 600 employees in one specific office environment and it didn't last super long. I mean, yeah. I, I even went to someone, um, a, a kind of a director in marketing. I was kind of like a technical guy on the marketing team doing websites. In fact, I can tell a quick story. The first day I showed up, they came into my little office and they said, you have a website, don't you? Called, you know, it was at the time it was called like indiecircle.com. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a website I have. And they're like, We noticed this morning that the um, top of the website has today's date on it. And then they're like, You're not still doing website things outside of work, are you? So I mean, so so oh, they wow. were they weren't even comfortable with the fact that like there was a live website that like I happened to, you know, have outside of work. This was like a conversation I had the morning I showed up to my first day. Oh no. Um, and I and I explained to them like there's a a script on the website that updates the date, you know, automatically. Like I wasn't coding the website that morning that from morning, yeah. Um, but that was the kind of environment, you know, where you enter into and you're like, wow, like they like have a, a very restrictive view of like your work and, and what, you know, can you use a Apple, you know, I was one of those people that had used an Apple computer my whole life. And that was every company that was like the first battle was you've got to let me use an Apple computer <laughs> um, and yeah, stuff like that. So, so that was the, that was one of those experiences for sure that helped me kind of, so I always kind of had like an entrepreneur side that would, yeah. bat, you know, that would make me kind of fight against that corporate setting. Um, but at the same time, a lot of great work happens in those corporate settings. A lot of great work environments can be fostered. So I think what I've found in life is like this awesome balance. Again, going yeah. back to the, pers the pursuit of thought leadership, like you don't have to become a siloed, isolated entrepreneur, you know, struggling to do things your way. There's opportunity to work in those bigger environments and bring something unique to it and offer kind of an entrepreneurial mindset um, that helps you buy in to the work that you're doing and not clock in like you you clock in physically but like you don't mentally take that um, clocked in mentality you take a bought in mentality yeah no what I got from that where you just said it was like buy in don't clock in you know exactly that's, that's fantastic exactly you know, and, and if you see HR coming run <laughs> I, can't, I can't recall any experiences this very moment in which in which hr was uh was on in my corner in any way shape or form i'm sure there's some nice people out there but i haven't met you yet nice people i've only met your evil twins uh, in the <laughs> hr world so you know kind of rounding out this amazing story of uh this sort of organic career development if you were to get in a time machine and go back in time to when you know, usually i say when you're your career first started, or maybe when you left school, but I would say when you left high school, if you were to go back and give yourself almost like career advice or life advice, what would you tell yourself as you were beginning that, that career outside of school? It would be about relationships and it would be about building others up. 
And thankfully, like I don't have regrets looking back through my life, but I think that it just can't be stated enough that every work environment that you go into, um, every uh, team member that you work directly with is an opportunity to bring value to them and build them up and create like a lifelong relationship. And I think that I went through a lot of work scenarios where I either moved from like one city to another um, or just simply, you know, changed gears and went to a different company. And there just wasn't a good um, outcome where you're where you're still connected with them and that would be something that i would have told myself is like no look for look for ways to stay connected and and build you know hopefully continue to mutually benefit um relationally yeah it's so important to think about those people you work with and maybe at the time they're annoying or they're great but it's like careers are so long and you may have worked with someone for just a couple of years, but then keeping in touch with them can be fantastic. And I've also found when the company's the worst, sometimes you're, the relationships you create are the strongest because you were in the horrible place together and you can always look back on how terrible that was. Oh, for sure. That's the thing is like seeing it like you're a team and you're, you know, you're just like one little chess piece in this team that's got to overcome some obstacles and you can work together and definitely, yeah, build good relationships through that. Absolutely. So, so now I got to ask you about this travel because like uh, this career has sort of enabled you to be able to go places, do things, spend time with your family. Is his Ireland ever let you back in? Have you ever I, been there? So after Ireland was when I went to England for right. school and that was the closest I got to Ireland. I was in Scotland and thankfully i it was amazing these experiences like yeah. basically oh, yeah. basically whoever i was with at the time would usually be really helpful in getting me into the country so you know when i was in england and our school took a little trip into scotland um, sure enough, like there were problems, but the, you know, the teacher uh, facilitator that was with us was, uh, you know, very helpful in that process to get me in. But no, I've never tried to go back to Ireland, interestingly enough, because um, there have been a lot of good travel experiences, you know, in, the, in that time of my life um, that it would have been fun. But no. Well, maybe. Maybe it goes on the bucket list, but I think we definitely want to right. email ahead of time and say, okay, look, <laughs> this, this wasn't some criminal activity. This was just, I went on a whim and I didn't have enough money for you to let me in. So how about we just be friends now? <laughs> you know? But I, I, and so, and it sounds like some, some secret record somewhere where everyone's hassling you every time you're trying to travel here and there. And um, they're like, what happened in Ireland? You're like, oh God. <laughs> for sure but it really set the stage for all the other travel experiences so so like i would go when i went to syria I yeah went tell to, me about that what why did you go and, to syria so again this publishing company that i worked with the yeah. materials that they published were on a lot of the topics around the middle east and in that during that time there was so much activity and so many questions of you know what do people think about certain things mm -hmm. that i wanted to go there and actually just engage with people i just i had read a bunch of books i had heard a lot of 
um, you know, experts talk about things and I wanted to be there and, and just kind of learn it for myself. So, so when I flew, um, over to the Middle East, I went with this little travel group that was on a 12 day, um, kind of excursion where they would see some museums and that sort of thing. And on the very last day when they got on their return flight, I had a, like a seven day visa and we, they helped me facilitate this. And again, just the relationships that I built through this was amazing. But our travel guide said, okay, my um, like daughter-in-law, like my distant relative, like is going to make a room available to you. So if you stay, wow. like you've got a place to stay tonight. So we let the travel group at the border continue off to the airport. And then I got back on the bus and went back into Damascus in Syria <laughs> and the travel group flew back to the States and I was in Syria with no return ticket and like a seven day visa. And I was going to meet the person at the house that I was going to stay at that night. Um, but sure enough, her nephew um, had an aunt teaching at the, or, uh, the again, a, a, some sort of relative connection, had an aunt teaching at an English language institute. Okay. And they're like, you know, you could probably stay here if you got a job at the English language institute. So I'm like the high school dropout that's going to go <laughs> teach English as a second language. Well, you know how to speak English, so hey. Exactly. That was one subject that I had. <laughs> so, um, that, so you, you ended up doing that? Yeah. So I went, got the job. Um, amazingly enough, I had had a background. I had a little bit of experience coaching tennis because tennis was like my life as a kid. Um, and later the director of the school let me know. He's like, the reason I, so we were playing tennis one day and he's like, the reason I hired you is that you had tennis on your resume and I was looking forward to playing tennis with you. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought, so, right? <laughs> and it was this amazing experience. I was there for a year. I learned Arabic. I taught English. Wow. Like just this incredible experience. Um, and and again, from traveling to Ireland and the connection to all that, like it just was kind of these like little steps of faith that I was, you know, totally down for experiencing and and everything. Those steps of faith were very rewarding. Yeah, I mean, you kind of had to just go for it and. And it, it's funny, you didn't learn too much from Ireland. Did you have a little more money in the bank or, or did oh, Syria you know, just a little bit more good, accommodating? You know what? That's a good point. No, I mean, I didn't change my methods <laughs> very much. No. Ireland was just a little, it must have been an off day in Ireland that day. They may have just <laughs> lost a soccer game to uh, England or something. And That's crabby. a good point. Right. Like, I, you don't usually think of Ireland immigration being like, oh, you know, but Syria, now was it dangerous when you were in Syria at the time or has it always been dangerous? And, and that was sort of the perspective was like, oh, surely this would be dangerous to be yeah. in Syria. This is 15 years ago. Um, and it was the most, you know, hospitable, positive experience wow. that I could have, I, I couldn't have imagined how Jeez. hospitable and positive. Basically, I would be, you know, downtown or, you know, not downtown, but just kind of in the market. Um, striking up a conversation with someone they'd be like why are you here like we want to go to America like you're here but like we you know just want to be where you're want to go there <laughs> um, and so that would start a conversation and then we would go have tea at their parents house and we would you know I mean it's just like every day was like that uh, just incredible relationships um, incredible interaction um, I was able to be myself, talk to them about, you know, where I was coming from and what I wanted to learn um, from them. And they, you know, what's not wow. to like about just authentic 
interaction and, and, and wanting to talk. Yeah. Someone who's curious about what you're up to. Just wanting mm-hmm. to find out more. That I'm sure they felt respected from that. Did you? Do you end up like dressing like a local? Did Did anyone think you were in the CIA at the time? Like- I think that. <laughs> yeah, I think that I'm about as unintimidating as it gets when it comes to like <laughs> just seeing me kind of trot down the sidewalk, um, and the clothes were. You know, it was awesome. For a dollar, you could buy like a really nicely sewn pair of pants, and another dollar, two dollars would buy you a nice kind of dress shirt and so you know of course I just shopped in their market and you know had that clothes I was that was great because you probably had like 20 bucks on you when you arrived so (laughs) exactly exactly and then um working at the English Language Institute um you know sadly different places in the world just the way the economies are um I didn't have to work a lot to have enough money to go buy what now I consider to be the best food in the world. Wow. You know, for 50 cents, I could have this bowl of beans and oil and vegetables that I just long for at this point because, you know, how that Have you works. ever tried to recreate it locally or? Definitely. I've shown my wife like the, you know, the ingredients that were in it. And so we have fun. We, it doesn't, it doesn't taste anything like what, what I was wow. eating um but definitely just try to kind of recreate that those types of foods yeah the magic yeah wow um any you know all these different countries you visit any favorites or what would be like the top of your list yeah so i would so a couple times i left and came back into syria and the best one of the ways to do that was to go through turkey Hmm. and um going through Turkey was always an awesome experience. Um, again, just kind of without a visa, like just show up and, and it would always work out for me. Like, but, um, Turkey, I think just all those areas over there, Jordan and Lebanon. I mean, I, it would be hard for me to say like a favorite Syria would actually clearly be my favorite and the experience in Damascus. Um, I think there's like seven rivers that flow through Damascus. Wow. Uh, Damascus is as old as old can be. Right. It's had people living in it since the beginning. So, I mean, it's just such a a special place. Wow. 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 Syria, the places that, you know, what, what do you think? Would you go there now? I'd still dream about it. Like, like it's one of my recurring dreams is that I'm there and I'm, and it's always uh, kind of a wild thought of like, would I get to be there now? And I, I think that, you know, over the last 15 years, there's been such drastic changes and yeah. it's affected people in such a unimaginable way um, that, yeah, I just haven't even been able to take my mind to like, the thought of like yes i would be there so yeah yeah it's unfortunate but uh, it's gotten it seems like it's gotten darker there but hopefully they'll come through that and you'll be able to get back to it that's my thought with like egypt too you know egypt's had its periods but hopefully it gets get stabilized because i'd love to go hit up the pyramids and see ancient culture you know no kidding isn't that right yeah and of course they have it you know there's no pyramid in the u.s <laughs> exactly um so where i have young kids i think that one of my hopes is that you know we've got a lot of years ahead of us and hopefully some opportunities for travel yeah right right I mean, you better start emailing ireland before that though so that, okay. <laughs> why did they take daddy aside oh long story guys <laughs> listen to the podcast when you're older <laughs> right so it, it, you've been doing some projects with them. I, I know one of the things I had seen was um, 
I think it was with your son, it was doing this sort of like running video blog. It was in, and you're doing these different projects with your kids. Um, tell me more about that. It seems like a big part of your life. Yeah, and again, this ties into just that pursuit of expertise. Right now, my son, he's 10 years old. He's passionate about running. He runs 5Ks like every week. Last year, he ran 14 5Ks. Wow. Um, and this year, he's continuing to add to that. I think he's run like 25 like total. Um, and so when I look at him as, um, you know, having these little areas of interest, I look for opportunities to invest in his future through those. Yeah. Okay. So what we created is a running um, interview show. So it's a vlog. It's called Garfield Cordell Running an Interview. Hmm. And runninganinterview.com is where it will launch. That hasn't launched yet, but it is on YouTube. And he goes for these long distance runs. Uh, his first run was with the founder of a running shoe company, and went for this like 40 minute run and I ride a bike out in front of them with a, you know, holding the camera and microphone. And he interviews the person while he's on this long distance run. And again, at 10 years old, it's so great because he's little and you've got these like guys that are so much taller than him. Um, and it's giving him the opportunity to connect with brands. So he's now an ambassador with that shoe company and he wears wow. their shoe, all of his races and has every pair of shoes they make and they're, you know, his favorite thing. Um, so it gives him the opportunity to, to like build uh, like sponsorship type relationships, but more importantly, like professional relationships that this is now a brand of his own. This running an interview.com is his own brand that he can build and, and contribute to and, and see where that uh, takes him. And my daughter, plays soccer well, hold on before we get to oh, yeah. like i've seen that particular interview it was amazing and first of all i don't know how you rode a bike and, and filmed i can barely manage one of those two at the same time uh so you were riding this bike filming it was very um like it was a very smooth video so it didn't seem kind of hackish it was very professional and your son he's there and he's just running with this you know the founder or the ceo of this shoe company and asking very astute questions and a credit to that, that CEO, he's answering them like your son's a real person. You know, he's not placating him. He's actually, Oh, well, we do this because of this. And I remember at the end of the run, they, uh, they hopped in a stream. They like took off their shoes and they're like sort of waiting around a stream, kind of cooling their feet off after the run and just kind of chatting like, like real people. And it was, it was the coolest thing. So I don't know if you're going to have the domain fixed up, um, before we clear this but either way um you know definitely check on youtube we'll put a link in the show notes it's the coolest interview i've ever seen you know adult or child so um you know it's too bad we're not running and putting our feet in the, the pond here but uh yeah it's fantastic so okay so your son's doing you're doing that with him and what what is your daughter up to and then my daughter, she's a couple years older. She's also a runner. She's also wearing those shoes, but she is a goalkeeper in soccer and is really, you know, passionate about it, wants to be the best goalkeeper. Uh, she talks about, she prays at night that in seven years, she's going to be the best goalkeeper in America. So Wow, I love that. Yeah, that came from discussions around 
um, the 2028 Olympics in uh, Los Angeles and just how neat it would be um, to use that time frame as a goal, whether it yeah. means you get to go to LA and watch the Olympics. Maybe you could compete against someone while you're young who's at those Olympics, or maybe you could compete in the Olympics themselves. Um, but both of my kids kind of look at the 2028 time frame as like a, a cool thing to be looking forward to. So as a goalkeeper, she now has keepinggoals.com. And similar to running an interview.com for my boy, this is her brand and area of expertise and an opportunity for her to vlog, um, to also do interviews, um, but to also just build build herself up. I think that yeah. as as sports and things progress, we're seeing more and more that thought leadership is a big part of your professional experience in sports, that it can be how you um, get opportunities, that scouts can look at your social media and they can look at what you're, um, you know, how you represent brands as an ambassador. But it's also where um, very accomplished, the most accomplished, the, the most elite of all athletes, it's where they go um, when they're done playing their sport or when they're done, you know, performing at the highest level, they go into a lot of these like entrepreneurial thought leadership um, routes. And so why not start building those early and, and kind of make those part of the athletic experience? I think there's just a lot of opportunity as a young person when you're competing and building skill to go ahead and, you know, build yourself up professionally and learn some, some business skills and build some relationships. So my daughter um, has keepinggoals.com and that's, you know, where she'll have a, a platform to, to show some of her expertise and hopefully it'll be something that just sticks with her that she'll find, you know, can kind of bring a return on investment to her over the years. hundred percent. And my thought hearing you say that was just like, coolest dad ever <laughs> wow like your kid your kids are having these sort of uh you know, it's great when your parents sort of are your incubator I mean, and mine was like this too i realized this later on didn't squash my desires to start you know this company or that business or this but like it's so inspiring to see but you're setting them up with these domains and they've got and, it, and it's high production value so it looks professional people can take them seriously that way how, how old is she? She's doing this keeping goals. She's, she's 12. Wow. And going on 20. Right. And along with all of these kind of online um, persona experiences, we're tying to it the marketing and the branding and the logo yeah. development so that they experience kind of the whole gamut of building a platform and knowing who their audience is and what kind of voice would connect with that audience. So it gives them the opportunity, potentially, you know, business opportunity, but also over time, that's going to prepare them for a lot of other, you know, situations where they're, they'll be able to bring their skill sets. Totally. And, and if they, they, they may end up asking you to drop out of school, but at least you have experience. Are you going to let them? <laughs> right. They're homeschooled. And Are they? Okay. The plan is to go into, similar to my experience, go into public high school um, and we'll see how that goes. I anticipate that they'll be on a level of success that a couple of years of high school will be enough and they'll be too busy with, with their business ventures and things. Elite sports.
performance and all of that that they'll just have to yeah that they'll they'll get what they can out of high school and then and then we'll see what the next step is for them but that's all to be determined right now it's all about just kind of looking for ways to invest in them and help them accomplish their goals well that is awesome and i I think you know based on hearing what you're you're even doing for your kids you're the one to talk thought leadership here and and give people the inspiration because you're you're helping inspire it all around you. So hopefully this, this episode in, inspires some people to start just trying a few things themselves. Uh, Cause you're, you're around it. You're in and around it. That's, that's your thing. It's, it's amazing. You're launching stuff left and right. It's like the Midas touch of launching things around you. I'm just touching things and they're just <laughs> blowing up. It's amazing. It's amazing. How can people get in touch with you? How can people connect with you? You're talking about relationships earlier. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, what, what are good? Where should they go? Right. So I'm on the different social media channels on a few different handles. So really just danielcordell.com would be the way to, you know, we talked about our secret project. When we launch that, I'm going to put a link on there. So a lot of the things that we talked about today, the running interview show, there will be a link on danielcordell.com. So all of these things just go to danielcordell.com and you'll be able to connect with me and see the progress on all these projects. 100%. And if I typed it right, I'm a big fan of the color choice you have on there so far. Right. <laughs> Blue and orange are a good combination. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and, and chatting with me and sharing not only your marketing strategy and your, your, your ideas on thought leadership, but also just sharing your amazing travel and history and your past and growing up and all that. Thank you so much. I always love listening to your marketing conversations and it's just amazing that I get to be a part of it now. So thank you. Yeah. Now you're in it. So (laughs) now it can be super meta. Are you going to listen to your own episode? (laughs) Oh, my kids are going to have to sit down and I'm going to have them take notes. Yeah. Yeah. I need a book report by Friday on what you learned from dad's episode. (laughs) Hey kids, sorry for the homework. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Well, thank you for this. And for the people listening, you know, if you learned something, I know you did. Because why? Two pages of notes. Um, and, and I learned some things here. So share this episode with even one other person, two other people. Put it on your Twitter. Put it on LinkedIn. Get, you know, be that thought leader to other people. Share good content you've learned from this. You've learned, learned from Daniel. So now share it. Don't keep it. You've already got it. You won't lose it. But you can share it with other people. Um, and be a thought leader like we're learning about today. So again, Daniel, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, Casey. Awesome. Awesome. And for everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. Catch you all next time.